Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And surprise, surprise, we have yet another Xbox Times Activision video for you. In fact, this will be the 48th such video in the limited time span that 2022 has so far taken up. And yet this one might be one of the most important of this playlist and video set. That comes not just from me, but from a number of people that have asked me the question that say, Rick, this couldn't possibly be the case. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about a Politico article that went up over the Thanksgiving Day weekend that said feds, the federal government, here the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, likely to challenge Microsoft's $69 billion Activision takeover with a subheadline of a lawsuit would be the FTC's biggest merger challenge to date under chairperson Lena Khan. And I was absolutely inundated over the weekend, and I'm very sorry for not responding to more of you on this particular topic because everybody wants to know what likely means and where the Politico getting its information from and whether or not we should really be worried if we think the Microsoft deal should go through. Well, the answer is yes and no. And I know that sounds like a very lawyerly answer to give, but one of the things I have said from the start of this playlist way back in January is that no lawyer on earth can guarantee for you what any given person is thinking or going to do. And if that person has the power of a federal regulator or an international regulator behind them, they might well decide to sue whether or not they've got a winning hand to play. And that brings us back to a video that I don't think was a part of this playlist directly. Maybe it was. I don't remember every time I put the tag button on a certain playlist or not. And But that was a video entitled, The FTC Has Lost Its Mind, Buckle Up, that related to a lawsuit that the FTC entered into earlier this year to block the acquisition by Meta, formerly Facebook, of a very small VR fitness app company called Within. And when I say very small, $400 million, much, much, much less than Microsoft's pending Activision of Activision at almost $70 billion, and much less even than most of Sony's purchases, including Sony's purchase of Bungie earlier this year. And why did I say the FTC had lost its mind? Well, it's because they had not been following, and they certainly don't follow in the lawsuit that they've brought against Facebook and within traditional jurisprudence, how the courts have thought about the Clayton Act, the Sherman Act, antitrust law in general in the United States. And you can go check out that video for a more in-depth version of this conversation, but I just want to highlight what I mean by that. So Facebook wants to buy this company called Within in order to get into the dedicated VR fitness app market, as the FTC describes it. Now, why is this a problem for the FTC? Well, They say it in a couple of ways, but the most prominent of which, the reason I said they lost their minds, is they say it in this way in particular. It is reasonably probable that Meta would have entered the VR-dedicated fitness app market through alternative means absent the acquisition. That Meta, Facebook, would have done something other than purchase within in order to participate in this particular market. And so we should treat as our counterfactual a universe of possibilities that includes Meta building its own VR-dedicated fitness app team and participating in the market that way. It is reasonably probable that alternative entry by Meta would substantially deconcentrate the market and have other pro-competitive effects, and that within, the company that's being purchased here reasonably perceived Meta as a potential entrant to the VR-dedicated fitness app market. That by purchasing this company, the Facebooks of the world have otherwise satisfied their need to enter this market through an acquisition, 
which is inherently worse than them building a separate company, which might be the case in a kind of multidimensional Doctor Strange version of regulatory powers, but it isn't traditionally the way we mandate that these companies have to go about their business. Microsoft doesn't have an entry right now into the mobile video game market, right? By purchasing King, they're going to enter that market. If you take the FTC's logic to its reasonable conclusion, if we follow the within model here, Microsoft's deal should be stopped because King already exists and Microsoft could be anticipated to build up a different company rather than purchasing King. And if we allow them to purchase King, well, then we still only have King and we could have had two companies. And the FTC has gone on about these various things within the within application here, the lawsuit that they have, and also the leaks that we've heard coming out vis-a-vis the Microsoft and Activision deal, in particular, those leaks about labor and labor power, which are not traditionally the ambit of the antitrust laws. Those are generally looked upon as labor law concerns. So that we know the FTC wants to be aggressive. We know that they're rattling their saber. We also know from the within precedent that they're willing to do basically anything. So when we get a headline like this, I cannot go out there and tell you the FTC will not sue to block this deal because the FTC is acting in a way that I think is very unusual and very novel all year long. We can answer a different question, however, and is it, should they? Should the FTC? Do they have a hand to play? Will they actually run this up the flagpole? Because when they present these novel arguments, they are not the final deciders of whether or not a deal gets blocked. In fact, that generally goes to the judiciary, although we'll talk a little bit about process as part of this article. So it's totally reasonable to say, well, the FTC won't sue because they have a losing argument, except if the FTC doesn't care. The FTC has presented to the country and to the world, if we're being honest about it, that they want to expand antitrust laws. And even though they're an executive branch agency, they're not in the business of writing laws or interpreting them, generally speaking, they want to see if they can't expand the bounds of those laws by using their administrative law process and the judiciary to validate the expansions that they want to have on antitrust enforcement. Now, this isn't a policy channel. This isn't a politics channel. You can have whatever feeling you want about those efforts, right or wrong. I will tell you as a lawyer, I prefer to see those kinds of policy discussions in the legislature rather than the executive or judiciary branches. But that's going to be a philosophical disagreement that I'm going to have with some people that we could have in a reasonable minds can differ kind of context. Suffice it to say, when a headline comes up like this and people say, Rick, 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 what's going on? What's going on? I want to talk to you a little bit about it because I still think they don't have a strong hand. And I also think that this headline is probably a little bit illusory. And I put this out on Twitter when the article first came up. Again, over the Thanksgiving break, I was trying not to make virtual legalities. I apologize for that. Uh, But I wanted to have a little bit of time not doing these kinds of things. Now, Now that we're after that holiday, we can take a look at it more considerably. Federal Trade Commission is likely to file an antitrust lawsuit to block Microsoft's $69 billion takeover of video game giant Activision Blizzard, maker of the hit games Call of Duty and Candy Crush, according to three people with knowledge of the matter. So first and foremost, we look at a headline like this and we say, okay, according to three people with knowledge of the matter, who would have knowledge of the matter about whether the FTC is going to bring a lawsuit? Most are going to think, I think rightly so, that that's FTC personnel that that is some kind of institutional regulatory body leak. They're not allowed to talk about these things to places like the Politico. So you can grant them their anonymity, but because we don't actually have an identity and we can't establish the tilt firmly as to whatever biases these individuals might have, we have to work on speculation, which we're going to do right here. Sounds like the FTC folks are saying that they are likely to file an antitrust suit. Okay, that's interesting. 
That's interesting for a number of reasons, not the least of which is because that can be the FTC itself trying to give contour to negotiations it might otherwise be having with the parties. We'll come back to that in a minute. A lawsuit would be the FTC's biggest move yet under Chair Lena Khan to rein in the power of the world's largest technology companies. Okay, Politico. So that's obviously an editorializing sentence. We don't have to actually put our thumb on the scale one way or the other about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, whether you're a Microsoft fan, a fan of Lena Khan or otherwise, to suggest that this is specifically reining in the power of the world's largest tech companies. Well, we'll have to see how this goes down in the long run. It would also be a major black mark for Microsoft, which has positioned itself as a white knight of sort on antitrust issues. Now, this in and of itself is an interesting piece of editorializing, remembering, of course, that we think that Politico is probably getting its messaging from the FTC individuals themselves, whether or not they're authorized to do so. That is more speculative than I'm willing to go, uh, whether it's a controlled leak or not. But this type of language seems specifically kind of political in argument. Right? Would Microsoft actually have a black mark if they get sued by the FTC? Would they have a black mark if they get sued by the FTC on a theory of the case that many lawyers, including myself, would find speculative and pretty much outside the ambit of the antitrust laws? I would argue that they wouldn't, although, of course, they'd prefer to avoid a lawsuit with the Federal Trade Commission if they can. Major black mark? I think you're probably pushing a little too far. A lawsuit challenging the deal is not guaranteed. Okay, well... You did put in the headline that it was likely based on these three sources, not guaranteed. And the FTC's four commissioners, they should have five, one is absent, have yet to vote out a complaint or meet with lawyers for the companies, two of the people set. Okay, so that gives us a timeline. Where are we in this process? Well, it sounds like we're in the process of the Federal Trade Commission staff putting together a complaint. In fact, we saw this in the New York Times article we covered earlier in this playlist, where at the very end of that article, New York Times said the FTC is putting together a team of lawyers. What a team of lawyers do in this context, they put together a complaint or the document we would usually consider a lawsuit, right? It's that document that a plaintiff party puts forth that says, here are the things that are very, very bad. Uh, Here are the things that we are going to seek redress for. In this case, here are the reasons why we can block this deal. They're putting together that complaint document. I said when we went over that New York Times article that it wasn't necessarily because they want to sue to block the Microsoft Activision deal. I'm not going to move off of that stance here today. We'll talk about why in just a minute. But it is important to note, we do get one strong piece of information from this article, the Bloomberg article we're also going to look at as part of this video, and that New York Times article from last week. And that is, it seems pretty clear that the Federal Trade Commission, the United States regulator in this particular context, is not going to just let the deal go through. Again, the FTC and the Department of Justice in the United States do not approve deals. The European method of actually signing off, greenlighting a deal is not done in the United States. They just review a deal, and if they aren't going to block it or ask for concessions or anything along those lines, they just let the timer expire, and then the parties can go and do the deal. And then the FTC and the DOJ reserve the right to sue over the deal after the fact, which, of course, our friends at Facebook and Meta are already noticing that they're doing with respect to the acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp. So they kind of reserve the right to cause trouble later on if they decide later that they didn't catch problems with the merger when they initially looked at it. But they don't approve deals. And so what you can take from this is that they are very unlikely to just allow that timer to go through. But are they going to sue to block the deal? Or is this a part of the complaint process to seek concessions? We will talk about that. However, the FTC staff reviewing the deal are skeptical of the company's arguments. These two sources, one source dropped out of their sourcing here at the Politico, 
said in terms of what they're looking at with respect to Microsoft and Activision. Okay, regulators generally should be skeptical about what companies tell them, but we aren't quite at likely to sue except for the word of these three particular people. Now, if the FTC is controlling a leak there, that says something. But even if they aren't, this is a little bit of a shot across the bow to Microsoft and Activision, right? Even if the FTC doesn't actually want this information to go out to Politico. So we don't need to be conspiracy theorists on this. This is still telling Microsoft something. Well, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to pull the trigger. We're going to sue you. You don't want that big black mark. And so minimum, minimum, you need to come to the table and start talking about concessions, what that consent decree will look like with us. Now, as I've said for a number of months now, Microsoft has been signaling a willingness to agree to certain concessions, that they'll put Call of Duty on the PlayStation, that they might do something with respect to labor unions or app access on Windows or other things they've kind of been signaling out for the entire year this year. And that has always told me that they were willing to go to talk about a consent decree. Now, a consent decree, we'll talk about in terms of the law as well in a couple of minutes here, is only going to be applicable if the regulator you're talking to has already found that there is a problem with the merger acquisition. They can't just ask for stuff without the power of the law. And that's part of what this process is really going to come down to. The investigation remains ongoing, but much of the heavy lifting is completing, including depositions of Microsoft Chief Executive Satya Nadella and Activision Head Bobby Kotick, the people with knowledge of the investigation said. If the agency does move ahead with a case, it could come as soon as next month. I'm not entirely sure why they would do that on that time frame when they can wait out a few of the European regulators, but they might. Central to the FTC's concerns is whether acquiring Activision would give Microsoft an unfair boost in the video game market, now this is probably Politico not being terribly specific about what they mean here. Most of these regulators are kind of keying in on either subscription services, Game Pass, or cloud technologies over the entire video game market. That's a particularly weak one when Xbox is not in the leadership position and really isn't that close, certainly on a global scale, a little bit closer in the United States. Sony, however, has emerged as the deal's primary opponent, big surprise, telling the FTC and regulators in other countries that if Microsoft made hit games like Call of Duty exclusive to its platforms, Sony would be significantly disadvantaged. And again, they still have to square that circle and say they're not just significantly disadvantaged, but it would actually harm competition rather than just a competitor. But neither Politico nor most of the places that actually give articles on this topic tend to go that far, just that it's bad if Call of Duty would be taken off of PlayStation. Uh, in an October statement to the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, the dear old CMA outlining, outlining Sony's position and published Wednesday, Sony says the deal will not only harm its ability to compete, but will also leave consumers with less choice for gaming and developers with less choice for where to publish games. Microsoft is a tech titan buying up irreplaceable content and incontestable prices to tip competition to itself, Sony said. And if you want more of my thoughts on the Sony statement from last week, well, there's a three-hour virtual legality episode that you can check out in this very playlist. In its own statement, also released by the UK regulator on Wednesday, Microsoft accuses Sony of making self-serving statements to maintain its number one position in gaming. The suggestion that the incumbent market leader Sony with clear and enduring market power could be foreclosed by the smallest of the three console competitors, Xbox, as a result of losing access to one title is not credible. And certainly on its face, intuitively, looking at the market as we have in this space, that does seem to be the stronger of the arguments that Call of Duty, while strong, which might cause some people to stop playing on their Sony and start playing on their Xbox, does not kill competition within the entire gaming industry. And so we haven't taken a look at the Microsoft statement because honestly, they're a little bit too verbose for an easy YouTube video. I think it's 111 pages, but we probably will cover it in short form, maybe this week, 
uh, maybe in the weeks to come. Microsoft said it has repeatedly promised to keep Call of Duty available on Sony's PlayStation, and furthermore, the game is not the must-have Sony says it is. Certainly not must-have in order to remain a possible gaming rival slash competitor, which seems to be where a lot of these articles are confusing things as well. To a lesser extent, Google is also an opponent of the deal, which is somewhat humorous to me, having followed Apple versus Epic, and to some extent, Epic versus Google. The company has argued that Microsoft has purposely degraded the quality of its Game Pass subscription service when used with Google's Chrome operating system, and owning Activision would further its incentive to do so. Now, the reason this is amusing to me is, of course, Apple and Google are being challenged across the world, not just by Tim Sweeney and Epic and Fortnite, uh, for essentially closing down aspects of their store and access to their platforms. And the fact that Xbox doesn't get that access, they asked for it and they said, hey, why are you treating Netflix this way? And you're making us approve every game on our system when, of course, there's a lot of revenue to be gained by both Google and Apple for selling their own video game access Microsoft is now being accused of essentially making the browser version of Game Pass uh, worse by Google. And that, to me, is an interesting type of argument from the fellow tech titan in Google. Now, Politico acknowledges that. uh, More power to them for that. Google is a minor player in the gaming industry and is winding down Stadia. However, it is under antitrust scrutiny around the world, including for conduct in the gaming market, and is unlikely to be a sympathetic opponent. Mostly we're not focusing on Google because Google has made a silly argument in a position without power and can't really leverage that in any type of effective way. Microsoft has pledged to continue making Call of Duty available on Sony's PlayStation console and recently made an offer to give Sony access to the game for the next 10 years, according to the New York Times. The FTC's concerns, however, extend beyond Call of Duty, and investigators are trying to determine how Microsoft could leverage future unannounced titles to boost its gaming business, according to two people with knowledge of the review. Leverage future unannounced titles to boost its gaming business. Don't even have any idea what is unannounced at Activision. I was under the impression Activision is only really making Call of Duty games going forward, but we'll have to see if anything comes of that. And Activision was, well... Not terribly happy with this report from Politico. Any suggestion that the transaction could lead to anti-competitive effects is completely absurd. This merger will benefit gamers in the U.S. gaming industry, especially as we face increasingly stiff competition from abroad. We are committed to continuing to work cooperatively with regulators around the globe to allow the transaction to proceed, but will not hesitate to fight to defend the transaction if required. Now here, I think we need to take a pause because this really isn't Activision's show. Microsoft is the buyer. Microsoft has to be all in in order to fight this deal on the grounds that the regulators might choose to fight it. Yes, Activision will be named a defendant in any kind of lawsuit that the FTC or the other regulatory parties might bring. But Microsoft is the one that can say, no, we're we're scuttling the deal. We're abandoning the deal. We're not moving forward. Activision will undoubtedly fight for it. Activision shareholders are scheduled to get an awful lot of money and maybe above market money based on the place that the rest of the market went, although certainly the release of Modern Warfare 2 as successfully as they had it this quarter four uh, makes their company potentially more valuable than it otherwise would be. It still might be the case that Microsoft is effectively overpaying in this given market for Activision and its assets. Hard to say. I'm not in the business of evaluating companies like that. Find a financial advisor to talk you through that uh, if you're interested in that kind of conversation, or maybe we'll have one on the channel in the future. But there are these kinds of dynamic market situations, especially in an inflationary economy, as a lot of tech companies start to get ready for what they view as a recession in all likelihood, that this deal might not be worth what Microsoft thought it would be worth back in January of this year. 
We've got other stuff happening. There's a thing about Project Hug and Google and Microsoft that just finds its way into the middle of this article that doesn't make a lot of sense. And that Microsoft's spokesperson says that the company is prepared to address the concerns of regulators, including the FTC and Sony, not a regulator, but a rival, to ensure the deal closes with confidence. We'll still trail Sony and Tencent in the market after the deal closes, and together Activision and Xbox will benefit gamers and developers and make the industry more competitive. Here we see Xbox doing what they should do as a spokesperson and just talking about the market as gaming overall. Microsoft is not going to have that big of a position in that market. Of course, the regulators are trying to decide whether cloud gaming and subscription service gamings are their own separate markets where Microsoft has a considerably higher level of power. The FTC technically does not have to take any action at this point. It's a little bit arguable because once they have all the documents they're supposed to have, they're supposed to take action. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The FTC can stay quiet for right now. Regulators in Europe and the UK have also recently opened in-depth probes, meaning the companies couldn't close the deal until the spring at the earliest. That means if the FTC does sue, it would likely bring a case in its own in-house administrative court. Again, these are probably true in the way that this is likely to go down, but they aren't fully technically true insofar as the CMA or the European Commission could act early. They just have this long period of time to make their decisions. So we don't really know when their final decisions will come into play, when, if they will ask for concessions, etc. The FTC typically challenges deals first in federal court to block them with a temporary injunction pending a trial in its in-house court, the administrative court. Without the imminent risk of the deal closing, however, it would be difficult to get a temporary injunction, also because of the actual claims the FTC would make to try to get one. The companies have until July next year to close the deal without renegotiating the agreement. An administrative lawsuit filed later this year or in January would be unlikely to be resolved by July and could potentially force the companies to abandon the deal. It could, but that time frame isn't likely to be what would do it, right? And that brings us back to how this deal is structured. If you've been following along here in virtual legality, you know that if this deal falls through specifically for regulatory reasons, then Microsoft owes Activision between two and $3 billion. And based on the timeframes we're seeing right now, it would undoubtedly be closer to that $3 billion mark because after a set date in April, they're gonna owe $3 billion to Activision if it falls through. Now, why do you structure deals like that? We talked about it earlier in this playlist, but one of the reasons you structure the deal like that is because you don't want Microsoft to just walk away. Activision has put itself in limbo for what will be a year and a half, if not more. And they want to make sure that Microsoft is incentivized to fight for this deal that they've otherwise signed for on the dotted line. So Microsoft, if the FTC sues, and let's say the CMA and the European Commission, they all decide that they're going to try to block this deal. Microsoft has $3 billion of incentive to try to go and make this deal happen. Now you get into weird math there because it might be that the internals of their own business plan and their evaluation of Activision are lower in the top of 2023 than they were when they signed the deal at the top of 2022. If they are lower by at least $3 billion, Microsoft can say, okay, we'll just pay that and we'll walk away. These assets aren't worth what we thought they were worth when we signed that original deal. You get into all sorts of interesting inflection points if that were to happen. But assuming that it doesn't, because $3 billion is a lot of money, it's also a lot of money to justify legal expenses. At that point in time, Microsoft owes that money to Activision because Activision wanted Microsoft to fight for them, to fight for the deal and to have every incentive to do so. And Microsoft probably will. Microsoft, if faced with lawsuits on these grounds, the FTCs would be, I think, specious. We'll talk about why in just a minute, as I think the CMA and the European Commission likely would have difficulty 
actually arguing logically their claim that this deal hurts competition. And I can't speak for how the UK authorities, their court system or the European authorities would actually deem that. Here in the United States, I can talk about it a little bit better. The FTC would have a problem with that lawsuit and Microsoft might well just decide to fight. Now let's talk about the actual process here because I do think that this headline becomes overwrought because you have to go through what looks internally like preparing a lawsuit, even if you're going to ultimately seek consent resolutions, right? So let's take a look at what power Microsoft has, what power FTC has. The FTC says they can block or they can try to block or they can judge any deal where someone tries to buy the stock of another and that acquisition would be substantially lessening in competition or tend to create a monopoly. But much like the officer on the side of the highway road can't just pull you over for no reason, ostensibly, they FTC can't just ask for concessions if it doesn't first find, or at least have a credible presentation of finding, that what you are actually talking about doing does in fact substantially lessen competition or tend to create a monopoly. That's how we arrive at this portion of their summary of what powers they have, where they have to either close the investigation and let the deal go through, enter into a consent decree, or seek to stop the entire transaction, either through their administrative processes or the federal court system. They actually have to find a problem or they have to let it go through. What does this wind up looking like in practice? Well, if you go and you look at any number of consent decrees from the FTC, they generally are going to open with a sentence like this one. The Federal Trade Commission has conducted an investigation of certain acts and practices of Google Inc. Google, having been represented by Consul, is willing to enter into an agreement containing a consent order resolving the allegations contained in the attached draft complaint. An attached draft complaint is what's important there. Essentially, the FTC has to go through the process of setting up a lawsuit and then present it to the other side so that people can know what it is they're actually negotiating when they start talking about an agreement containing a consent order or a consent decree. And you can see this throughout. Here's uh, Nomi Technologies, much like Google, willing to enter into an agreement containing a consent order, resolving the allegations containing the attached draft complaint. They might say, Rick, we're not looking at mergers here. And I was just using these as examples. We can also see it with respect to mergers here from the Justice Department, which is not the FTC, but the FTC and the Department of Justice in the United States share essentially concurring jurisdiction over these kinds of things where... Much as we just talked about last week with respect to Taylor Swift, Live Nation, and Ticketmaster, we can see how this process goes in a merger where you want to make sure your consent decree is filed in federal court and enforceable under court orders. The Department of Justice's Antitrust Division, along with 17 states' attorney general, filed a civil antitrust lawsuit today in the U.S. District Court in Washington to block the proposed transaction. Okay, they did. They filed a lawsuit to block it. But did they really? At the same time, the department and the state's attorneys general filed a proposed settlement that if approved by the court would resolve the competitive concerns in the lawsuit. So part of the process here is to prepare a lawsuit, to be ready to file it, potentially to file it, and then file the actual consent decree, the concessions document, so that it's enforceable by a court. Which means when we look at this, we could be looking at an FTC leak. We could be looking at overzealous FTC staffers. We could be looking at kind of normal procedures to go through the consent decree process. Or we could be looking at an FTC that is willing to just Facebook and within this whole thing. And I can't sit here and promise you one way or the other. Now, in terms of a little bit further on procedures, we can look at how they describe themselves, the enforcers 
So first they talk about the federal government. Pre-merger notification filings, correspondence from consumers or businesses, congressional inquiries, or articles on consumer or economic subjects may trigger an FTC investigation. Generally, FTC investigations are non-public to protect both the investigation and the individuals and companies involved. And as I've said a lot in this playlist, I am very glad that the FTC does it their way and not how Europe and the United Kingdom do it their way. If the FTC believes that a person or company has violated the law or that a proposed merger may violate the law, the agency may attempt to obtain voluntary compliance by entering into a consent order with the company. The company that signs a consent order need not admit that it violated the law, but it must agree to stop the disputed practices outlined in the company complaint or take certain steps to resolve the anti-competitive aspects of its proposed merger. If a consent agreement cannot be reached, the FTC may issue an administrative complaint that's within the Federal Trade Commission and or seek injunctive relief in the federal courts. The FTC's administrative complaints initiate a formal proceeding that is much like a federal court trial, but before an administrative law judge, evidence is submitted, testimony is heard, witnesses are examined and cross-examined, and if a law violation is found, a cease and desist order may be issued. An initial decision by an administrative law judge may be appealed to the commission. Now, if you look at that and say, Rick, wait, hold on. The FTC sues under its own court, and then if they don't like what their judge says, they can appeal it to themselves? Yeah, give or take. Next, you get into the real appeals. Final decisions issued by the commission may be appealed to a U.S. Court of Appeals and ultimately to the U.S. Supreme Court, right? The FTC are not the final arbiters of what the Sherman Act, the Clayton Act, any other antitrust regulations say. They can advocate for certain positions, but even the administrative law judge, despite being a part of the Federal Trade Commission, is supposed to be an unbiased reviewer of what the FTC puts forth. More on that when we get to the very end of this video. But it's at this point where you start to get into the appeals process. And either way, the FTC would have needed to draft either an administrative complaint or a request for a preliminary injunction at the federal level, which might be what the FTC staff is seeing. Because again, this is a pretty rough, pretty novel argument that Microsoft, despite its position in video gaming, can take its current position in cloud gaming, which really doesn't exist as a functional market and may never exist, and the existence of Game Pass, and that they can look at those as separate markets from buying and playing games through the current brick and mortar or digital storefront systems as if those were not substitutes for each other. And they need to not be substitutes in order to make a separate market that the FTC, the EC, or the CMA can actually find. So that presents its own problem for them. Then we get into a second article of a very similar time frame, which is one of the other reasons why I got so many messages that say, is the Federal Trade Commission actually leaking stuff now? And again, I don't want to go so far as to suggest that these are controlled leaks by a government regulatory agency, because that's not great. You don't actually want to have that happen. We have no reason to believe that other than kind of the circumstances of these two articles coming out. But here we have in Bloomberg an article entitled, Microsoft's Activision Deal Hangs on Long Shot FTC Accord Team Biden Hates, which is, wow. That's a lot of editorializing for a news item, right? And Bloomberg hides their stuff behind a bushel basket of its own. But fortunately, Yahoo Finance clearly has a deal with Bloomberg and republishes their Bloomberg article. So we can still look at it over here on Yahoo Finance. And this is what Bloomberg had to say. Microsoft Corp's best chance to win approval for the $69 billion Activision Blizzard deal from U.S. regulators, not really approval, just allowance, is to persuade the Biden administration which it really isn't specifically a Biden administration function, but fine, to accept a settlement 
in which the Xbox maker pledges it won't withhold its popular titles from rivals. Now, the actual consent resolution process isn't really necessarily Microsoft just offering up a document to the FTC and that the FTC and President Biden have to accept. It's really more of a collaborative environment for those things. And the FTC probably has some things in mind that it would like to see. But Bloomberg then adds, that's a very long shot. You say, all right, evidence not currently uh, in our in our trial portfolio. What do we got? Given Biden, antitrust enforcers aren't fond of such agreements. Okay, they aren't fond of consent decree agreements. That doesn't seem right. You must be talking about specific types of consent decree agreements. Let's read on. Especially after this month's Ticketmaster blow up, put the spotlight back on a failed 2010 Justice Department settlement with Live Nation Entertainment Inc. Now, I'm not quite sure why you call it failed here other than it was re-upped based on uh, a Justice Department investigation, which neither the Justice Department nor Live Nation seems to have had to admit that there were problems uh, with the earlier settlement, but you can call it failed if you like, Bloomberg. Now, that's also a separate industry doing completely different things in a physical environment than what we're talking about here, which is one hardware console uh, maker purchasing a video game publisher, but but perhaps you can attach these things. Certainly, the Justice Department has gotten a little bit of flack uh, about how the Ticketmaster rollout of Taylor Swift tickets went. Uh, it would be interesting if in the long course of history, you wind up having Microsoft not be allowed to purchase Activision because Taylor Swift fans didn't get the tickets that they wanted. That would be a very interesting footnote in some Harvard business law study, no doubt. But Bloomberg continues, antitrust officials in the UK and Australia have raised concerns the takeover would give Microsoft an overwhelming advantage in cloud gaming, a nascent industry, which you can't just say nascent and get to police it as much as you want. I know that that's what these companies and these articles like to do, but fair enough. That's an area of particular sensitivity for Federal Trade Commission Chair Lena Khan, who earlier this year sued to block meta platforms from acquiring a popular fitness app to gain an edge in the fledgling virtual reality market. Now, there's a couple of things here that are problems. First of all, Microsoft's best chance to win may well be taking an FTC lawsuit and bringing it up before judges. Uh, rather than dealing specifically just with Lena Khan's FTC as it stands. But also, when we talk about the Within and Facebook lawsuit, that hasn't had any chance to be adjudicated at basically any level at this point in time. So the fact that they did move against it is notable. That's why we noted it at the top of this video. But it isn't sufficient to say that Microsoft could actually be blocked in a vastly more important deal for Microsoft and Activision. Although Khan hasn't commented specifically on the Activision deal, she said at an October conference that the FTC is focusing on ways digital platforms use mergers to maintain their dominance during periods of technical transitions. Would you say that Microsoft is a digital platform? Maybe on the xCloud side, maybe on the Game Pass side, not certainly on the Xbox overall side. And so we get into these market definitions. When you talk about a digital platform, generally speaking, I hear... Ms. Khan talking about Google, talking about Facebook, talking about actual digital platforms in this space. Not so much Microsoft and certainly not so much in the context of hardware. Even on the cloud gaming side, the arguments from the UK and the EU tend to relate to the fact that they have Azure servers, that they have all of this extra hardware that is already set up to give them this advantage and that they're worried about Call of Duty essentially tipping over the advantage that Microsoft might have in cloud gaming. Now, I don't buy that argument, most specifically because I don't buy cloud gaming as a separate market from gaming overall, but it's at least one you could have, but is dependent on the specifics of why Microsoft is different. And I just don't think you can attach Lena Khan's comments about 
legitimate things that the regulatory bodies are concerned about vis-a-vis Facebook and Amazon and Google and these digital platforms and say, yes, they apply definitely to Microsoft. Right now, we are seeing that period of technological transition, be it in the context of the cloud or voice assistance or virtual reality, Khan said. We have to be especially vigilant across the board, but particularly in the merger context. And again, this speaks more to Facebook and Meta to me, but hey, I'm not Bloomberg. Bloomberg could be right, and we have to acknowledge that as well. Microsoft said it has offered a proposal that would keep Call of Duty on the PlayStation for the next 10 years, but that kind of settlement might not placate regulators, said Bloomberg intelligence analyst Jennifer Ree. This is a deal that needs behavioral concessions, and the FTC is not accepting behavioral concessions. They don't have any other choice but to sue. Of course they do. Everybody has a choice, Jennifer, and Microsoft and Activision could just be allowed to have their deal go through if behavioral concessions are what should be required and you're just not accepting them. The Biden's administration's antitrust officials have taken an aggressive tack with companies seeking to merge, often rejecting proposed settlements in favor of lawsuits. The Justice Department has filed a record 10 merger challenges since June of 2021. Not in the video game space, it should be noted. The FTC also has blocked two major deals that sought regulatory approval based on pledges the merged company would play nice with its rivals. NVIDIA Corp's purchase of Arm Limited from SoftBank Group Corp, which somebody asked me on social media, is that really so much more obvious an antitrust problem? The answer is yes. The actual consideration between NVIDIA and ARM was whether NVIDIA would capture all of the design functionality that half the industry of chip manufacturers use. That is vastly different from whether Microsoft is the sole proprietor of the Call of Duty video game series. And Lockheed Martin Corp's bid to buy Aerojet Rocketdyne Holdings, Inc., which had a similar issue with respect to NVIDIA and ARM. Not everything the FTC, the Department of Justice, the European Commission, or the CMA does is silly. It just so happens that what they are talking about potentially doing in this deal is a little bit sillier than most. And so this article breaks it down and says basically the Microsoft Activision deal hangs on behavioral concessions, which are not only a long shot or not a long shot, but are also part and parcel to how these things are looked at from the antitrust perspective. Let's take a look at the Department of Justice Remedies Manual for mergers, right? And we're going to see some interesting stuff, some stuff that goes in Microsoft's favor, some stuff that goes against them when looking at these articles. But it's important to kind of get a contour for what I'm actually talking about when I talk about the regulatory bodies in the United States. So here's the Department of Justice, not the Federal Trade Commission. They don't have a manual like this one, but we can use it as our jumping off point. Most mergers are not anti-competitive and may benefit consumers. Before seeking a remedy, there should be a sound basis for believing that the merger would violate Section 7 of the Clayton Act and that the resulting harm is sufficient to justify remedial action. You have to have a sound basis for believing that the merger would actually do this damage. The division should not seek remedies that are unnecessary to prevent anti-competitive effects because that could exceed its law enforcement function, unjustifiably restrict companies' ability to compete, and raise costs to consumers. When we're looking at this deal, does blocking it help or hurt consumers? That's a question that the Federal Trade Commission is supposed to be asking itself. Consequently, even though a party may be willing to settle early in an investigation, the division must have sufficient information to be satisfied that there is a sound basis for believing that a violation would otherwise occur before agreeing to any settlement. Look at that paragraph. Even if Microsoft were to come out and say, you know what, we'll make promises right now, neither the Department of Justice nor the Federal Trade Commission are supposed to agree to those before they have gone through their investigation. Somewhat different from how Europe handles these issues, right? If the division has concluded that a merger may substantially lessen competition, it can address the problem in several ways. They have to conclude it. They can't just start asking for things. This is very important to understand as part of antitrust jurisprudence. The division may seek an injunction that would prevent the parties from consummating the transaction. They can block it. They could try to block it. 
Parties frequently seek to avoid litigation by offering to cure the division's concerns, and in those cases, the division may choose instead to agree to a settlement, a quote-unquote consent decree that allows the merger to proceed with modifications that preserve or restore competition. So the way this process is supposed to work is that the Federal Trade Commission is bound to find what specifically is harmed, and then they are supposed to either try to block the deal or allow the companies involved to offer concessions to get the deal approved that are based on the findings of anti-competitive effect that the FTC puts forward to them. Any remedy must be based on sound legal and economic principles and be related to the identified competitive harm. Tailoring the remedy to address the violation is the best way to ensure that the relief obtains cures the competitive harm. Before proposing a remedy to an anti-competitive merger, which again, they have to find before they even have this conversation, the division should satisfy itself that there is a logical nexus between the remedy and the alleged violation, that the remedy both cures the competitive harm and flows from that theory of competitive harm. Effective remedies preserve the efficiencies created by a merger to the extent possible while preserving competitive markets. The Department of Justice recognizes, properly so, that these mergers can result in better things for consumers and that the antitrust laws aren't supposed to prevent them. Or as they say in this principles portion of their document, once the division has determined that the merger is anti-competitive, that it substantially lessens competition, and again, this is they're allowed to determine this on their own, but they could lose a lawsuit on this if it were to go all the way to the Court of Appeals or even their own administrative judge, the division will insist on a remedy that resolves the competitive problem, irrespective of whether the transaction is horizontal or vertical. Now, this transaction is both, so that doesn't really matter. This assessment necessarily will be fact-intensive. It normally will require determining what competitive harm the violation has caused or is likely to cause and how the proposed relief will effectively remedy the competitive harm. Only after these determinations are made can the division decide whether the proposed remedy will effectively redress the violation and just as importantly, be no more intrusive than necessary to cure the competitive harm. No more intrusive than necessary. Accepting remedies without analyzing whether they are sufficient and necessary to redress the violation would be abdicating the division's responsibility to protect competition and American consumers. Although the remedy always should be sufficient to redress the antitrust violation, the purpose of a remedy is not to enhance pre-merger competition, but to preserve it. Preserving competition is the key to the whole question of an antitrust remedy, and preserving competition is the only appropriate goal with with respect to crafting merger remedies. This is one of the reasons why the Facebook meta within lawsuit is so crazy to me. Preserving competition requires replacing the competitive intensity that would be lost as a result of the merger rather than focusing narrowly on returning to pre-merger market saturation levels. For example, assessing the competitive strength of a firm purchasing divested assets requires more analysis than simply attributing to this purchaser past sales associated with those assets and calculating the market concentration levels. Don't worry about that. Now, I said that part of this would go towards Microsoft and part of it would go away. This goes towards Microsoft, right? You're trying to find a harm you're already kind of reaching for it if you're the Federal Trade Commission, certainly in my opinion, but you'll find other lawyers and other regulator analysis looking at that from the same way. But you also have to, even if you find a problem, narrowly tailor what it is that you want to do in respect of this merger to what it is that you claim the problem is. That goes towards Microsoft because if you start talking about blocking the whole thing, if you talk about making them divest all of Activision, right? you could actually just say, hey, you can have King, even you can have Blizzard, but you have to not buy Activision. Certainly that changes the numbers all around. And what you might want to be aimed at is Call of Duty. That's going to be very difficult to actually separate from Activision because of the way Activision has structured its business over the last few years. So you just can't buy Activision. 
That's a major problem for Microsoft and unwinding what could be back-level efficiencies, front-facing efficiencies, and all sorts of things that would have driven their business decision process. So you probably shouldn't be doing that. But, ah, hang on. We can also talk about what works against Microsoft. Let's see what the Department of Justice has to say about the kinds of remedies. Remedies should not create ongoing government regulation of the market. So far, so good if you're Microsoft, but let's read the paragraph. Merger remedies take two basic forms. One addresses the structure of the market, the other the conduct of the merged firm. So when you talk about structure, that's a divestiture. You're going to spin off Call of Duty. You're going to sell it. You're not going to run Call of Duty. It needs to be independent, right? Sony says they shouldn't even be allowed to buy Activision uh, because Activision needs to remain independent. Okay, that's what Sony has asked for. Structural remedies generally will involve the sale of businesses or assets by the merging firms. By comparison, a conduct remedy, you pledge to sell Call of Duty onto Sony for 10 years, usually entails injunctive provisions, that's requiring or prohibiting something from one of the parties, that would in effect regulate the merged firm's post-merger business conduct or pricing authority. We talked about that, right? They might ask for a Call of Duty mandate. They might ask for a pricing mandate on the Game Pass. Conduct remedies substitute central decision-making for the free market. They may restrain potentially pro-competitive behavior, prevent a firm from responding efficiently to changing market conditions, and again, that's why it can't be a perpetual agreement. We've talked about that in other videos, and require the merged firm to ignore the profit-maximizing incentives inherent in its integrated structure. Moreover, the longer a conduct remedy is in effect, say 10 years, the less likely it will be well-tailored to remedy the competitive harm in light of changing market conditions. Conduct remedies typically are difficult to craft and enforce. For these reasons, conduct remedies are inappropriate except in very narrow circumstances. And they've got other sections that talk about that. We're not going to go through all of this in detail, but suffice it to say, when you talk about the remedies that the Federal Trade Commission or the Department of Justice might have, they are supposed to be taking into account exactly what they are aimed at, what the competitive harm is, narrowly tailoring what they would propose to prevent that competitive harm, and not just suing over, hey, you might have entered into the market by yourself. The Facebook within deal continues to be the nexus point that I see for this particular transaction because it's the one place where I can say the FTC sued when it didn't make any sense at all to me. And if they're willing to sue over a $400 million transaction of this type, it might be that they just hate Facebook. I can't speak to that. But if it isn't just that they hate Facebook, then absolutely they could sue on this deal, even if in the long run, they wouldn't be likely to win. Or as Michael Pachter says, USFTC likely to be crushed in court, which is why they won't sue. This gets resolved by Microsoft agreeing to a list of demands to maintain the status quo when the FTC drops its objections. I'm not going to make guarantees like Mr. Pachter here, but I will say that that does strike me as continuing to be the most likely outcome. People always ask me where my percentage is on this deal. I continue to have it at 65.35. And honestly, if we were looking at historical antitrust jurisprudence, I'd have it at a lot higher, but there really is no accounting for just going out there and suing over a $400 million VR company. So I can't make you promises about the FTC in that regard. Finally, the last thing I wanna leave you off with is when we talked about administrative judges, you might think, well, they're just gonna be a rubber stamp. And very often they could be accused of that pretty honestly. But it isn't just a rubber stamp. Here, only in September of last year, uh, of this year, just a few months ago, you get a reference. Administrative law judge dismisses FTC's challenge of Illumina's proposed acquisition of cancer detection test maker Grail. In an initial decision announced on September 1st, 2022, Chief Administrative Law Judge D. Uh, D. Michael Chappell dismissed the antitrust charges in a complaint brought by the Federal Trade Commission. He's the FTC's administrative judge 
The FTC says we're going to sue over this. We think it's going to limit uh, competitiveness in this industry. It was a $7.1 billion proposed acquisition. And in dismissing the complaint, Judge Chappell concluded that complaint counsel has failed to prove its asserted prima facie case, the baseline case to prove elements of a problem under antitrust law, that Illumina's post-acquisition ability and incentive to advantage Grail to the disadvantage of Grail's alleged rivals is likely to result in a substantial lessening of competition in the relevant market for research development and commercialization of MCED tests. Their own administrative judge says the FTC doesn't have a case. Judge Chappell also noted that the FTC staff's evidence falls far short of proving its factual assertions that Grail's rivals are posed to imminently launch their products commercially and a bunch of other things that relate to a completely different case. But the point is, is that they actually do have a few checks and balances for just asserting these things. We aren't far enough along to determine whether their own administrative or other judicial process will do anything about the Facebook and within lawsuit. And it might be that the FTC is intending to just play bully ball with all these tech companies and see if they will drop these things on their own, which some might. Within probably isn't valuable enough to Facebook to fight the FTC, but Microsoft and their purchase of Activision for $70 billion with a $3 billion penalty kicker if they get kicked out for regulatory reasons very well might be. And Microsoft has a lot of skin in the game if they choose to fight it. Now, as we also mentioned in the article that we talked about earlier in this video, the judge's initial decision is subject to review by the full Federal Trade Commission on its own motion or at the request of any party and complaint counsel filed a notice of appeal. So they said, Federal Trade Commission, this, this administrative judge said, no, let's ask the Federal Trade Commission and the commissioners on their own. And that's exactly what they're going to do. And chances are they'll have some success at the FTC itself. And then it'll be up to, in this particular case, Illumina to go and appeal the decision that the FTC made. So long story short, and thank you for hanging in there with me on this episode of Virtual Legality. We're looking at a situation where the FTC, as long as it's not going to just let the deal fly through, was always going to be getting lawyers together to work on a complaint document. That they are in fact working on a complaint document does not necessarily mean that they are going to file that as a lawsuit. And further, that it advantages the FTC to go out in public and suggest to Microsoft that they are willing to do that because it'd be a black mark on you if you did. So maybe you should just drop it or maybe you should fight in a different way or whatever else it's going to be to give you leverage if you're the Federal Trade Commission at the concession table with Microsoft. Plenty of people believe that the FTC is way out over its skis on this kind of thing. And I tend to agree with that assertion of this particular case, but that doesn't mean that regulators like the Federal Trade Commission, the CMA in the UK, or the European Commission might not just go and try it. So we can't promise you that they aren't going to sue, just that there are plenty of reasons to believe that they'd be making a document of this type in any event, and that the most likely outcome from my perspective is still that they're doing this to get leverage in a concession, in a concession discussion, and we should expect to see behavioral concessions and the deal still going through in 2023. If you enjoy conversations like this, the business and law of video games, technology, software, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We can't do it without support from viewers and listeners like you. We've got a Utreon to support us. We've got a Patreon to support us. We've got YouTube memberships to support us. Or if none of those strike your fancy, just supporting us by subscribing, ringing the bell, upvoting, even downvoting, leaving comments, otherwise telling your friends that we are having these kinds of conversations here every single little bit helps. Now, if you did catch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. 
It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.